Welcome to the Audit 15 Fun Podcast. My goal with this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table at least every 15 days. Today, we have a new segment, new year, new segment, and I have the privilege to have as my guest, Robert Berry, aka That Audit Guy. So what is the new segment? It's talking about audit fails, and Robert had the courage to talk about his story. So I'll let you expand on that, Robert. What is your audit fail story? Which one? I mean, it, <laughs> there's so many to choose from. Okay, so I'm going to tell a story that hopefully most of us can relate to. So at one point in my career, I was in big four. I worked for Deloitte and I actually did internal auditing when I worked for Deloitte. So I was doing assurance work on the internal auditing side. Well, you know how it is when you work for big four, you always have that one client that's a really good client and your goal is to leave big four and go work for that client. So you do what you can to try and smooth up with the management there so that they can hire you to do their audit work. But that's kind of what happened. So myself and one other individual, we left Deloitte and she was in charge. She was the chief audit executive. We were starting this brand new audit function at this small community bank. I was second in command. Scary thought me being second in command, but I was second in command. And we had a lot of fun because the way we divided the duties up, she did a lot of the politicking. You know, she was, her executive presence is second to none, even to this day. And so I was the executioner. I wrote the policies and procedures for the audit process and started hiring people. One day she left for vacation. It was a long vacation. I think it was like two weeks, maybe even four weeks. And so that meant that I was in command. Now, if you didn't get scared when I just said I was in command, you should be really be afraid because I was afraid. I was in my mid twenties. And so now I'm almost 50. So think about how long ago that was. So I was in my mid twenties. Second in command, audit shop. It's just me and she's gone. We were doing a wire room audit. Now think about this. A wire room audit is pretty important because all your money is flowing through, whether it's in, in wire room is wire transfers, whether it be ACH, EFT, whatever kind of transfer is taking place. So we were auditing this process and my goodness, everything was wrong. Just bad. Okay, I'm joking. Not everything. The actual processes themselves were working out pretty well. They were getting all of the wire transfers done that needed to be done for, for the day, and they were reconciling all of the activity. Where the control weaknesses were, were in the system itself and the permissions that people had. So you had an entry-level clerk that had a $5 million wire transfer limit. And she could actually input it and release it without a secondary review. Not only did she have that authority, but the person sitting right next to her had the same authority. So then I looked at the treasurer. The treasurer actually had the same authority. So he could actually input a wire transfer and send it off without any secondary review. And his limit was extremely high. So at this point, I'm scratching my head like, this doesn't seem right. I mean, I've only been working in banking for a few years, but doesn't seem right. So I call up other people in the industry. Hey man, is this right? What should happen in a wire room audit? Now, mind you, this was well before you had the message boards like LinkedIn and any other resources. So I'm literally on the phone with people that I know that I met at conferences and they were like, wait, what's happening? And I'm explaining it to them and they're like, nah, you're joking. Go back and look again. You can't be seeing what you think you're seeing. 
So I go back and I double check the logs in the system. I double check with them verbally. Hey, is this what you do? And, you know, auditors should be from Missouri, right? The show me state. I'm having them show me that they can actually just release wire transfers without any secondary review. Yep, they could. So, so I'm like, oh, this is horrible. It's just, now my boss is out of town. So it's just me. So what would you do in that situation, John? Like, what would you do? What would I do? <laughs> yeah. Uh, call the, you know, <laughs> the, the helpline. Call the helpline. <laughs> there is no helpline. It's just you. <laughs> yeah. So what did so no, Robert do? So what I did was I went and talked to the treasurer about it. There's a potential control issue that could cause the company a lot of risk exposure. So you go talk to the treasurer about it. So when I talked to the treasurer about it, you know, he was like, you're absolutely right. We're going to change everything. Nah, man, that's not what happened. I talked to him about it and he, he got real upset. First thing he said was, how dare you accuse us of stealing stuff? We would, we, you don't understand our job. Our job is hard and we have the appropriate authority that will allow us to do the job that we are supposed to be doing. Now, mind you, I just said when I told his people, they got it. They were like, we don't want all this authority because somebody could blame us if something bad happens. But when I went to him, oh, man, he he was real mad. And, you know, treasurer positions, that's like what? Usually either an assistant vice president or a vice president position in an organization. He pulled that card out. I am an assistant vice president here. How dare you say that we would do something wrong? And I'm just like, okay, all right. And so I left him um, a copy of the things that we had found and why they were risk. And I went away. And I think he thought that I had given up. I wasn't done yet. I was just giving him a minute to sink in. So I called him back a few days later and I was like, hey, I just wanted to circle back with you about the things that we talked about. And he said, I'm still upset. You're still wrong. Okay. And I mentioned casually, well, we're just going to have to escalate this. But uh, my boss, she's out of town. So we'll just wait till she gets back. Now, when he heard that, he figured it was his time to strike. I remember I was sitting at my desk one day. I went to lunch. I came back from lunch. There was a brown envelope sitting there on my desk. Now, John, you and I have talked about this and you know how I feel about brown envelopes. Nothing good comes out of it. Nothing good comes out of a little brown envelope on your desk. So I opened the envelope up and there was a letter from the treasurer. And this letter talked about how I didn't know what I was doing and how we didn't need an audit department at this company. Now, mind you, I said we left Deloitte to start the internal audit function at this company. It was a private organization at that point. They eventually went public and became a huge bank. Huge. Um, and so he talked about how they didn't need an audit function and this audit person didn't know what he was doing. Okay. And this letter was addressed to the CFO and it was carbon copied to me, but it was an, it was an actual letter, a physical letter. Now my speculation is since my boss was out of town, he figured that he would try to bully me into what, I don't know, dropping the issue, not talking about it. But he was definitely trying to intimidate and bully me. So what I did was I sat down, opened up Microsoft Word, typed up a very logically written letter where I talked about, first I addressed his points. And then, actually, you know what I didn't? I didn't even address his ad hominem arguments about us not knowing what we're doing. Because what we often do is we want to talk about, well, I know what I'm doing. I have X years of experience. 
I didn't even do that. I went straight to the risk and to the controls that we saw when we audited the wire room operations. And I laid it out logically. Here's what we saw. Here's why this is a risk. Here's what we saw. Here's why this is a risk. And I just bullet pointed everything out in this nice little memo. And I printed it off, walked down to the CFO's office, took it to his secretary. And she told me he was out of town for a few days. And I was like, oh, dang, everybody's out of town, huh? And I left it with her to give to him. A few days later, he comes back from out of town and he calls me into his office. And I was thinking maybe he was going to give me a promotion and a raise or something. Now, I was actually scared. I was, I, I mean, you know, I was in my mid-20s, second in command in an audit shop, and the CFO is calling me down to his office. I was scared. So I go down and he asked me, hey, what is this memo that you dropped off? And I'm like, well, I'm thinking to myself, did you read it? Like, what the heck are you, are you asking me? What is this memo? Did you read it? Um, and, and so I kind of asked him that without saying that. I was like, well, you know, we're auditing the wire room operations and, and there were some things that are off. And the treasurer and I had been talking about it and he just, you know, didn't see what we saw. And I wanted someone to understand what the risks were. And apparently he sent you this memo saying that we didn't know what we were doing. And I wanted you to understand this is what we were doing and hear the risk. And so he looks at me again and he says, this is my first time seeing this memo. Your, your jaw dropped right there. Yeah. I'm like, but I got a copy of it from the treasurer and it's addressed to you and it's carbon copied to me. And this is like the, but so we talked a little bit more and he said, if this is the case, then these things are pretty bad. I was like, yeah, but, but I shouldn't have brought you in on this. Like, I, I thought you knew what was going on. He was real good about everything though. I will say that. Um, and I'm thankful for his, his, um, I don't want to say mercy. That seems like too strong of a word. His, his careful consideration of the situation. That's a better way to put it. Um, so I go back to my office after we meet and I'm just like confused, not understanding what had just happened. So then I go back and I read the memo again that the treasurer had sent and the memo is solid. And here's what I realized. He had also sent me an email. That's what it was. I think I told you a little bit different earlier, but he had sent me an email and in his email, he had said something like, here's a memo that I'm going to give to the, tre uh, to the CFO. But he sent that email several days after he had given me the memo and I had already responded. And, you know, he didn't send that, me that memo to the CFO. It was a threat to try and make me do something different in the audit. It was a threat because he didn't like what we were doing and he didn't like the outcome. But because of that, threat, I went and alerted the CFO prematurely of an issue that the treasurer and I should have been able to hash out like two adult human beings. What do you think about that? Anything like that ever happened to you before? Not even close to it, Robert. <laughs> I can say that for sure. And I, <laughs> I mean, it's really good story. And I think there are several lessons there that, uh, I'm sure you're going to cover. So and they may not be evident as you're telling the story because it's after you reflected on yeah. the issue that 
you actually learn from the situation. So I'll, I'll let you expand on the, the lessons that you learned there. Yeah, I've got about seven points from this story. And while I will say this story is for someone at a higher level, the lessons learned can apply to auditors at any level. The first lesson for me was that clients have feelings. Oftentimes, clients' feelings are irrational, especially initially. See, oftentimes as adults, we like to think that everybody else behaves like adults, but they don't. And oftentimes as auditors, because most of us come from an accounting background, we think that everybody thinks logically like us. Most people don't. Even your CFO, even your treasurer, they think with their feelings first. And we have to get out of this nonsense thinking that if we present clients with the issue, that they'll respond rationally because they see what we see. Even if they do see what we see, they're going to respond emotionally. And that's the first thing we have to do is manage our clients' unstable emotions first and foremost before we can move forward. Very first thing. Easier said than done, but really good lesson. <laughs> it is easier said than done, but I will say uh, I've done a really good job at it over the years, especially after this incident. Um because I've actually had clients tell me, you know, we like dealing with you. And I'm thinking, most auditors are like me, maybe, possibly. <laughs> but no, yeah. So yeah, first lesson is your clients have feelings too. The second lesson from that I learned, which is kind of in line with the first one though, but is no one wants to be thought of as doing something wrong or bad. So the reason that our clients respond emotionally and irrationally is because they feel like we're accusing them of personally doing something wrong. And no one wants to feel that way, especially when they aren't and they feel attacked. Really good one as well. Now, my third lesson is when they feel attacked, they will lash out like children and they will bully you. Adults are just like children, just in bigger bodies. We all behave and respond irrationally to certain things at certain points in time. Our clients are not immune to that no matter what their position is. And so when he tried to bully me, it was the wrong thing to do. However, when I reflected, I could actually empathize with it because imagine you're accused of something that you didn't do. You're going to fight tooth and nail to clear your name up. And you're going to do some things that may not look good or may not be good in order to try to clear your name. Remember, uh, what was the movie with uh, Harrison Ford where he talked about a one-armed man it was actually the one who attacked his his family and they didn't believe him uh, fugitive. Fugitive, yes. Yeah. He went to, he, he moved heaven and earth to clear his name. Well, that's what our clients are doing because we make them feel like they need to be on the defensive. Whether that's rational or real or not, that's the feeling that they have. So anyway, my next point though is auditors must still pursue the truth. The truth with a capital T should be what we're looking for, not my story, not their story, not my side, not his side. The truth is always somewhere in the middle. And truthfully, their wire room operations, it worked pretty well, but the system was set up to where controls were broken. That was the truth, and I would stand by that. It's not a personal attack on their people, but those controls weren't there. And that's what I kept reiterating and saying over and over again. Separate the problems from the people, right? There you go. The next thing is once you find the truth with a capital T, not the audit truth, because sometimes we can be on witch hunts as auditors. 
Oh, I know that they're doing something wrong. I'm going to find it. That's bad. Once you find the truth with the capital T, stick to your guns. Stick to your guns. Now, in using that same gun analogy, don't fire the gun too soon and don't fire it at the wrong person. You see, I fired the gun too soon because I didn't realize that when the treasurer sent that memo, all he was really doing was saying, hey, don't look at me like a criminal. I should have been able to go to him. I actually went to him a couple of times and he still gave me the cold shoulder. But what I should have been doing, and I say this a lot for auditors, every auditor should study psychology. Every auditor. Because what I should have been able to recognize, which now, after being in the field for a while, I recognize someone who's really lashing out. I should have been able to recognize that. And I should have approached him a different way and been like, look, man, we're on the same team. I might have rubbed you the wrong way. Let's talk about how you feel about what it is that we said to you. And we could have had a totally different conversation. 20-something-year-old me didn't have the experience to do that. The me now knows how to do it, which is why in most of my training courses, they focus on soft skills. A lot of problems can be solved if we dig down to why people are behaving the way that they behave. So yeah, stick to your guns. Don't fire the gun too soon and don't fire it at the wrong person either. My last point is because of the nature of our role, it's very sensitive. One, one audit report from us could change a person's entire life. Here's what I mean by that. Somebody could get fired. Somebody could get promoted. Or somebody could just get, you know, nothing done to them because of one audit report. So because of the nature of our role, we must exercise care. And I don't mean the due care that they talk about in the auditing standards. We got to do that anyway. But we got to, we have to exercise care over the lives that we actually control because we have a lot of control over people's lives. Again, one audit report could get somebody promoted, could get somebody fired, could get somebody recognized for something good or for something bad. We owe it to them to exercise care over the things we put in our reports. We owe it to them to make sure that we're truthful, that we're honest, and that we have some integrity in the things that we do and say and that we put in our reports. So my big mess up was I didn't understand the human element behind client, audit client interactions. If I had understood the human element, I could have uh, avoided having a, a really embarrassing situation with the CFO. Now, I will tell you after that, the treasurer and I, the CFO called the treasurer up and said, look, you need to go work this out with this auditor because he's right. But just because I was right doesn't mean I handled the situation right. And he and I talked afterwards and we actually started getting along real well. My embarrassing situation, my mistake moment was I jumped the gun with something. I didn't understand the human behind the audit client. So many good lessons there, Robert. And I'll just highlight a few that you mentioned here as you're going over all those points. Auditors should study psychology. That is, I think people realize the need for it, but we still don't do it. Really strong word, care, right? That encompasses so many different things. Care for people, for the community, for your profession, for your organization. Um, and for the people that you're auditing, obviously. And the last thing that you said there, which I, I think that could be the tagline here, is just because you're right, it doesn't mean that 
depending on how you handle the situation, you're right by how you're handling it. Really appreciate you being on the podcast, Robert. I know that you're creating a community where people can in- interact and share their stories and connect. For people who are interested in joining that community, the website is community.thatauditguy.com. Put your email. It's super easy to join the community. So that's the website, and I'll put it in the show notes. For those who haven't heard about you, because that's kind of hard to do because <laughs> you're out there. Uh, for those who haven't heard about you, what is the best way for them to connect with you, Robert? The best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn, 100%. I post something on LinkedIn almost daily, and some of it is about audit. Some of it is personal. Some of it is how the personal connects with audit. I have a weekly show that I do. Can I talk about my show? Absolutely. I have a weekly show that I do. It's called The Friday Fraudster. And each week on Fridays at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time, we talk about fraud stories that are in the news. Uh, So far, we have a worldwide audience and it's so much fun, but it's interactive and engaging. I've got a bunch of other things that are coming, a bunch of other things that I do. But The Friday Fraudster, I've got a podcast too. uh, and, And, you know, John and I, we support one another because we support auditors, but LinkedIn is the best way to find me, or you can go to my website, thatauditguide.com, where there are a lot of articles. Right now, there are over 100 articles talking about auditing. I'm adding several more this year. By the end of this year, I want to be at uh, 150, so I want to write 50 articles this year. There you go. That's the New Year's resolution for Robert, and in 2024, we'll, we'll check in on you. Thank you, Robert.